Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me. Uh, with me, as always, is normally the one, the only, Brandon Jarrell Newman. Today, and for anyone that listened yesterday, we appreciate it, but uh, for today, Brandon Newman, rock star producer, the other voice that you hear on this podcast, not going to be with us, as always. He is on the road, getting ready to attend a wedding as we are recording this podcast. It is a bit of a chaotic week uh, here at Gojo. As always, we thank everyone who's downloaded, subscribed, rated, and reviewed. Checked out the DraftKings YouTube page, gone to the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. YouTube playlist, and checked us out there. Left us five-star ratings and reviews. Hit the thumbs up and subscribe to the DK YouTube page. Uh, this week, we have a lot going on. Uh, Brandon traveling to that wedding. I will be traveling down to Gainesville for the Florida-Utah game that I'm calling for Learfield Radio this uh, Saturday. And on top of all that, 
you guys have heard, as of the posting of this podcast, we will be living in a world finally after I have thrown out the ceremonial first pitch and enjoyed Mike Golick Jr. bobblehead day at the Hartford Yard Goats Park back in Connecticut where I've been the last couple of days. So a lot going on schedule-wise, but we obviously want to make sure we're here with you guys every morning since we appreciate everyone who's stuck with us. And we still have a great show today, albeit a different one. It's going to be Solo Gojo on the front and back of this with Richard Johnson, who is one of the best college football voices out there. You guys can hear him as the co-host of Split Zone Duo, awesome podcast, a great Patreon page for people looking to take a dive even deeper into the waters of college football. He does a great job of that with Alex Kirshner and Stephen Godfrey. You can also catch him and read him at SI. You can uh, watch him with Thinking Out Loud with Spencer Hall on the SEC Network, but we're going to dive into uh, a little bit of Group of Five preview since we've done the conference previews around college football for all the Power Five schools. The Group of Five is a little bit smaller of a conversation this year just because of circumstance and what we've got coming off of last season. We'll also touch on some things to look forward to in the Week 1 slate this weekend since we had our Week 0 primer and now we're getting to the real thing. So get to take a look at a bunch of the teams that have real national championship aspirations, a bunch of teams that are just going to be very interesting in the world of college football this year with uh, what we've got put on display now, which has been a offseason to remember in so many ways the coaching hirings and firings the movement that's gone on there with Brian Kelly Lincoln Riley Mario Cristobal and others conference realignment with USC and UCLA what we've got in the future as it pertains to these group of five schools with Cincinnati getting ready to move on and join the big 12 here in the coming years so all of that getting ready to kick off in earnest. Week zero was fun. We get to do the real thing this weekend. So we're very much looking forward to that conversation with Richard that we're going to have. We're still going to give you this, that, and the third on the back end, which uh, means I have to potentially try out my singing chop. So I'm going to spend the time during the interview with Richard trying to roam up the vocal cords and see if I can get this thing right. Um, But this is also not going to be indicative of what the entire season is going to be like with us just as far as this is a chaotic week one. As we settle in, we will go along the way and we will have the same amount of awesome voices in here. Brandon and I will be here with you guys each and every day getting you ready for the NFL weekend, what we've been talking about with the U.S. Open Tennis and Serena Williams, Major League Baseball playoffs, getting ready to come up. We will have Katie Nolan, one of the favorites around here, joining us tomorrow to check in with Major League Baseball season with what Katie's been doing on Apple TV Plus's Friday Night Baseball broadcasts that have been going along here. So if you're someone who appreciates and looks forward to that, definitely check that out as far as the rest of the week run of schedule. We'll also talk to Sloan Martin, who is going to be My play-by-play announcer in the booth with me for Learfield. She has covered the Minnesota Lynx as the play-by-play voice for them. She's done great work over in the Big Ten. All things we're looking forward to. Someone I'm excited for all you guys to meet as we get ready to do this thing for real all across the board. So, again, I know most of you are used to hearing Brandon at some point completely knock me off track in the opening minutes of this podcast, keep me honest, and offer some sort of take angry about what's going on with LeBron James and the Lakers. We hope Brandon is traveling safe. He's going to be back with us tomorrow with Katie. We're going to have a great time. So, in the meantime, we are going to take a quick break. And on the other side of this, when we come back, we are going to talk to, and by say we, I guess I'm using the royal we now, I'm going to talk to Richard Johnson from SZD, and we're going to get you guys all hyped for a little early primer midweek as we look forward towards college football's week one. All right, guys, let's talk about Jaegermeister. 
They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, excited to get ready for college football week one because week zero was a good time. It was a nice little starter pack, but we got the real thing coming in fast and furious. So for some help on that, Richard Johnson joining us here, co-host of Split Zone Duo, one of the best college football podcasts out there. If you haven't already, go check them out. We've been doing conference preview stuff here for fun for you guys. They play for keeps over on that side. You can also read Richard over at Sports Illustrated. Catch him out Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network with Spencer Hall and Thinking Out Loud. Richard, you going to add any more things to the plate for this fall, man? The busiest man in sports is back for another season. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I am, I am redlined, and it's not even September 1st. It's amazing how quick it starts to happen, man. But uh, that's the, the sport and the world that we live in. And got a lot we want to talk to you about today. Uh, we've been doing conference previews. We hit a lot of the P5 stops. Do want to, you know, whet people's appetite a bit for the group of five and look at the week one slate for this weekend. And Richard, I think with the group of five conversation, we know Cincinnati was the headliner and the AAC has really been the headliner for the last five or six years as far as the top end of college football. Five-year streak as far as teams that have gone to New Year's Six Bowl games. Cincinnati breaks through and finally gets us a G5 team in the college football playoff last year. Is, is that something we can talk about realistically now for this group of conferences heading into this season? Or was that such a rare set of circumstances that got us that result last year? Like, I, I don't think this... <sighs> I don't think the set of circumstances is like strictly speaking rare, but I do think that Houston is the one, right? Houston's going to be the one this year, if any. Uh, I think Cincinnati's retooling, reloading, that's fine. It's going to be a Cincy thing. But my thing with Cincy is they don't have what Cincy had last year, which is, sorry to bring up old stuff, a victory over... Your beloved Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, tech, uh, Houston does not have a name on this schedule yeah. beyond Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the P5 that they have. That's all well and good. I, think, I don't think either of us think Texas Tech is going to be in anybody's top five by the end of the season or anybody's top 25 by the end of the season, to be fair. And that's going to hurt Houston. That's what I think you need. You have to have – like that year – that, um, that Ed Oliver was, you know, the big one, and they yep. opened with Oklahoma, and they beat Oklahoma. Had they have gone undefeated, they would have made the playoff that year, in my opinion, because of the hype around the team and the name that they had on the wall. But they don't have that this year. Um, you know, if Texas Tech, if they run undefeated and Texas Tech ends up being a great team, then, yeah, we may be having this conversation in November where they're legitimate, but that's what you need. You need a pelt on the wall. 
Yeah, that really ends up being the conversation around this. And you're right, Houston and Cincinnati are the two G5 teams ranked in the preseason AP poll. Houston brings back Nathaniel Dell, who's been this lightning rod at wide receiver, Clayton Toon at quarterback, like you mentioned, and a D-line room that's slowly become an NFL factory each and every year uh, since Dana's been around there. And even before that, going back to the Tom Herman era, but... Those are certainly the headliners. Um, Cincinnati, just uh, real quick on them, Richard, because they've been the poster for this. Missing Desmond Ritter, you mentioned not having the pelt on the wall. Their offensive coordinator in Mike Denbrock is with Brian Kelly now at LSU here. They're getting ready for that Big 12 move coming up. Is this to the point now where we expect Luke Fickle to stay here for a while now that that Notre Dame job is coming past as a legitimate opportunity for him? Is Or are they still going to have that same conversation every offseason there in Cincinnati? No, I, like they – I think everybody knows there's one job that he'd right. walk on hot coals backwards to take. Putting that aside, I, you know, if, if he's not going to take Notre Dame – and he's not going to take Michigan State. I don't really see the one in college that he's going to take absent, obviously, the big one. Um, I, I, you know, is Luke Fickle an NFL guy? I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know if those are his aspirations. I'm just saying that's the other avenue that I could see. But, you know, short of Ryan Day getting hit by a bus, I, I don't know what – I don't. I don't know if I don't know if he's gonna uh, you know if Luke Fickle's gonna lift his thumb off the scale of the G five for the foreseeable future. I do think they're gonna be pretty good this year, but I do think it's a retool year. It's a reload year. You don't just replace what you lost uh, with Desmond Ritter as a very very good quarterback, um, and 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 flip a switch. So yeah, as far as Fickle's concerned, it, I kind of think he's good, especially with the fact that they're moving up in the world to the Big Twelve. Losing an entire NFL secondary on the back end, too, for a team in this position. Also usually a difficult road to run. So I'm with you on Fick, though. I I think that world is going to kind of stay pat for a while. We know it's kind of a two-horse race, but I think the group of five for a lot of, you know, even non-sickos, college football Twitters, wherever once in a while, we can get a story that we really sink our teeth to. I think a lot of people love Jake Hayner and that uh, Fresno State team last year, at least on offense. They obviously lose a coach, but Louisiana in past years, even though Napier's gone, App State, Coastal. Is there another G5 team that you look at and say could make things at least interesting this year with what they're bringing back and what we've got on the table? Well, we love Coastal. We're big Shantz fans. Um, don't sleep on UCF. Don't sleep on UCF. Uh, like, it, it, you know, replacing at quarterback, we don't love that. But they are going to quarterback run the hell out of the ball with John Rice Plumley um, coming in from Ole Miss. Um, I, I, Gus is going to have some sick, sick stuff up his sleeve as far as the QB run game is concerned. Um, they're going to be fast. We know that. Um, last year was a little bit, last year was a little bit up and down. Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, you know, all that kind of stuff. But UCF is the other one where you're just like, all right, let's see what this is. Boise, I think, is the brand name, but I just haven't. The jury's out on Boise. It, it just is. They're not that dominant force. At least they haven't been the last year or two that we've come to know. And and Boise's replacing some really good receivers. That's really interesting to think about. The other one that was interesting to me 
was there any you know coming off last year for Utah State and what they were able to do how much does a close game against UConn in week zero kind of dampen that is that more of an indictment of them or an endorsement of maybe Jim Mora getting things going at UConn no I I think watching that game you understand that some of that stuff that UConn was able to produce is is strictly speaking kind of fake Um, I I think a 26 point line may have been a little bit high for Utah State but at the end of the day the first quarter in that game UConn hit some very explosive plays and then basically stopped moving the ball Um, (laughs) so it's it's and I understand UConn starting quarterback went out in that game so there was some stuff going on there Um, but I I I'm more liable to chalk that up to it was I guess week zero, but I'm more liable to chalk that up to first game, first game jitters. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, nobody ever knows what they're going to get in the first game um, from a coaching staff perspective. I'm I'm willing to kind of charge that one to the game and 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 say Utah State. I'm I'm still curious. I'm still interested. All right, so we got a bunch to be curious about there in the group of five but in general we know the couple of teams that we're going to keep our eye on I think that Cincinnati Arkansas game week one is going to kind of be an interesting measuring stick for what that Cincinnati program can expect going into the rest of the season because Arkansas brings back you know a starting quarterback and identity under Sam Pittman now that seems ready to go losing Traylon Burks certainly going to put some dent in production but in general I I think that'll be kind of a good measuring stick but Richard, before we turn the page fully to week one and look at some stuff there, we'd be remiss as we now near, I think, actual Scott Frost Day, looking back at the <laughs> premier story of week zero of college football. Man, how how screwed is Nebraska right now off that? That seems like the worst possible way that this could have gone down. Not just a loss, but another loss in the exact way that you have been losing in this Scott Frost era. I just, I don't really, like, the opening script was nice. The chunk plays were nice. And I just don't really get what you had otherwise. Like, Nebraska just sat there and waited for you to, or excuse me, Northwestern, just sat there and waited for you to make a mistake, and you did multiple times, especially on defense when trying to defend the run game in the second half. They were not physical. They were flying out of gaps. I mean, they were just like... Northwestern ran the ball, I believe, 12 straight times mm-hmm. in the second half at one point in time. It was just not, not what you like to see. I didn't think Nebraska looked very fast in that game. I, to be honest with you, I did not hate the onside kick. And I also, going back and watching it, saw what they were trying to do and, and didn't dislike that much the decision in and of itself. Because I do think if that worked, that game may have effectively been over. Um, but you know, it, it, like the, on, the failed onside kick is not the reason you went, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. The failed onside kick is not the reason you went, I believe punt, punt, interception, punt, basically for the rest of the game. Like it, it, that's not the reason you weren't able to move the ball. That's not the reason you were three and five and out the rest of the game. Um, I, Casey Thompson, I don't see that as much of an upgrade after one game I like I just think they are what they are at this point in time and and the three and you know I I sat here and I was one of these people that said that three and nine was a you know it shouldn't have been three and nine but then you're like man damn it maybe it should have been three and nine like at the end of the day like when does it come down to when do we get out of close game 
luck or bad luck, and into, man, this is coaching. And I didn't think Saturday was bad luck. Like, that was not yeah. bad luck why you lost that game by, what, was it, three points, whatever it was. Like, that came down to coaching in a couple different ways. And, you know, Frost says what he says after the game uh, when he says that we need to be more creative on offense, which, oh, buddy, that is tough, dude. That's tough. And so now they come home, they play an FCS team, um, and they get rolling. Now, sure, could they get it going, and could they get to a bowl game at the end of the day? Of course. I, I don't think an August loss is, is a death knell, but an August loss is certainly pessimism. Uh, and, and we've got pessimism, pessimism injected into this thing for real, for real now. Is a bowl game enough to save Frost's job at this point? I think so. Hmm. I think six, win six would be nice. Win seven, and I think you're... Because if you win seven from here, that's legitimate, like, progress, right? Especially after everybody leaves you for dead before September 1st. If you can rally the troops and go, I I guess that would be seven and four, coming home, I I think you you have a case, especially as a favorite son. Um, And and they have you on a cheap buyout. The buyout drops to, I believe, seven and a half million uh, on October 1st. So you would then roll into 2023 you know, in another prove it year situation. And that would be the question. Does Nebraska want to go into 2023 with another prove it situation? Or do they want to shift gears again, get a new coach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much the favored son stuff even really plays in his favor anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I think people are kind of <laughs> fed up with it, but you know, we'll see. It's, it, it's wild to watch a play. And you're right. Like at some point you are what you repeatedly put on display, especially from a coaching standpoint, where from an outside perspective, we can only go on a select few things to really see what your impact on the game has been. And that overall lack of discipline that we see show up in certain spots, the lack of physicality, like you said. I mean, Northwestern deserves some of that credit. Their O-line, I know they got the tackle that everyone's excited about. That group bullied the shit out of Nebraska, by and large, for that game. But the rest of that does ultimately fall on his shoulders, especially over the time frame that we have. So, like you said, though, Nebraska walking into this weekend, they've got North Dakota and is expected to try to get back on track in the next couple of weeks here. Let's shift to the rest of the week one slate, Richard. As you look out over the menu, I know you're heading down to Atlanta, but for you, what's the game that jumps off the page, maybe the game or two that you're most interested in week one? Yeah, there, there, like week one is one of those things where I just want to sit, take stock, and understand, you know, what, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to be? Um, you know, I, I, as someone who played, I think you kind of know that from week one to week two, that's when you see the most, the leaps, because you finally have it on tape, you finally have it against somebody else wearing another color jersey, and you get to see what it is. Um, so don't, you know, don't put it ton of stock in a week one but use week one as a starting point as a bedrock for where you're going to kind of form your schemas and your opinions on teams um that houston utsa game strikes me um i'm curious i'm interested uh, i'm very curious um you know I, I army coastal obviously and i can't remember if we brought that up i'm interested to see what utah state is able to do against alabama like what you know yeah. I, I think this alabama team is going to be the one um, yes. So, you know, what are they able to do? Um, Louisville-Syracuse is an early, uh, early conference game. I'm, I'm, I don't know if high is the right word on Louisville. I'm interested. I'm, I'm very interested in Louisville. I'm very interested in what that's going to be, particularly as they have a very good recruiting class um, lined up coming in. Uh, Oregon State and Boise, are late, uh, that's a late-night game. 
pay attention to that. Uh, pay attention to that as well. Obviously, the game that I'm at, uh, Oregon and Georgia. Carolina and App State. Sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. That game is, uh, I think it's like a, within a field goal spread. Uh, and North Carolina did not cover itself in glory in the first half against the FAMU team with like six and a half linemen at home. Yeah. Um, so, interested. Interested. Uh, and then, who the hell knows what we're getting Sunday night from uh, from... From LSU and Florida State. Buddy, you can tell me that one shakes out any swinging way. And all right, I got you. Um, so I don't know. And then Clemson and Georgia Tech on Monday night. That, that, may, be, that, that may be a rough one. But I need to see what the hell Clemson's going to be on offense. I, I was just going to ask. Clemson's one of the curious teams. Because like you said, it, it seems like Alabama and Ohio State – you could throw Georgia in there with what they've done from last year, even though, as I've heard you guys talk about, and I've heard others talk about, it's going to be fascinating to watch what that offense has to do if the defense is not one of the greatest that we've ever seen in the history of college football, even if it's still going to be balling again. But for Clemson, defensive personnel-wise, dear God in heaven, that is a wild-looking Death Star, even with Venables gone. Are, the, are they a team that we can already pencil in in this year's ACC as like a very legitimate playoff representative for them? Or does the offense scare you enough to make that more of a question? Dude, the offense scares me. I, like Now, look, if, if you have a quarterback change and Clay Kubnick comes in by the end of the season, okay, now I'm interested. Now I'm very curious. I, like, I, I just – I do think Clemson – so Clemson has a September – that they can just just roll the ball out there and they'll be fine. So I do think if they're going to make a change, I do think it could come similar to the way the Trevor Lawrence thing shook out a couple years ago yeah. where Kelly Bryant's just not giving you what you want in his second year in charge. Hey, we got this freshman. Let's try it. Like, Clemson to me, sneaky, sneaky about Clemson is they've kind of not been as good at wide receiver in the last couple of years, especially since Jeff Scott left. And that has... That has also Trevor's last year. Cornell Powell kind of emerged out of nowhere as a, a fifth-year senior, I believe, at the time, and they were able to kind of figure some stuff out. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. They had this decided skill player advantage for so long, so long over everybody on offense, and they they were kind of like, eh, <laughs> the offensive line will figure itself out. <laughs> we'll just be way better than you at every skill position, and then you know, once we get to the playoff, we have a month to game plan, and, and we'll be finding those two playoff games, and we'll win a national championship and go to some other national championship games, and we'll beat you over the head with a blunt object with our defensive line. But it's the formula's not working right now uh, to the level that they want. Now, I will give Clemson credit for finishing last season hotter than people realize. Uh, they were on a, a decent little roll there at the end of the season. So let's see where it goes this year. Let's see what happens at quarterback. Let's see what happens on offense. But I, I'm not ready to completely sign off on Clemson right now. Um, and, and NC State elsewhere in the ACC, I, I wonder, I wonder about NC State with a really good quarterback um, and, and what should be a solid roster, even though you're replacing stuff on the offensive line. Uh, but they were able to get Clemson last year, obviously, at home. Let's see what happens uh, the, the second year. I think they play in the beginning of October, so we will know pretty quickly about the status uh, of, of both NC State and Clemson when we have that kind of prove-it game. What was, in your mind, the issue with DJ last year? Like, what didn't click in the way that we saw in those limited samples in 2020? Dude, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened beyond 
One of the things that I tried to hit on a lot last season was that Clemson, Travis Etienne not being in that offense was such a bigger deal than people were. This is a guy who set a record for touchdowns in a row in collegiate football history. This dude was automatic seven points. So it's, it's the fact that they didn't have him last year as a bailout. And you remember that. I, I can't You didn't do the Boston College game, did you? No. The, okay, okay. The, that, that year, the, the DJ's second start, right? Yep. They played Notre Dame, and then the, the second start against Boston College. When they were in it, I mean, they were in a dogfight with Boston College at home in that game. And then Travis Etienne went insane, and they won the game. And, like, they just – they don't – they didn't have that automatic out card right there in Travis Etienne. I think they severely, sorely missed that last year. Um, and that was kind of an under-the-radar thing besides the fact that I didn't think DJ could hit the broad side of a barn. And, and I did think that offense was limited last year because of what he could not couldn't do. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It was wild. I, I I did call their game against Syracuse on Friday night up at the Dome, and it really felt like a baseball player that had the yips. It was that level where it seemed like... Because, like, that's the thing. Because going back to it, that year, the, the couple games that Trevor sat out, and he came in and he played in, I guess that was 2020. Yeah. It was there, man. Like, it did, like... Richard, he, he has the record. Us. He has the record for an opposing quarterback in Notre Dame Stadium for yards, passing <laughs> yards by an opposing quarterback in Notre Dame Stadium. DJ Uyangalale is number one on that list. And while the Notre Dame defense can at times lack athleticism on the back end, overall they've been really good units for the last three or five years. I do not know what happened. I don't know what happened between that that year where he spot spot duty for Trevor Lawrence. And then, and then uh, last season where he just was not it. I, it's just – but they are going to have to figure something out, and they're going to have to figure it out pretty quickly. Um, because remember, like, this is Clemson we're talking about. This is not a hopefully you win the division thing. This is a Clemson program that you have to hold to a legitimately high standard because of what they have achieved and what we know they're capable of. So, okay, if we're holding you to the standard of playoff or bust – there's going to have to be some hard decisions if they're going to want to try to get over that hump if DJ has not progressed from what we saw last year. 
So that's going to be something to keep an eye on as we get later in the weekend here. We've brought him up a couple of times in reference to this, and I have to ask, tell me I'm not crazy for looking at Notre Dame and Ohio State and thinking at least that 17.5 is a lot of points for that matchup. I firmly believe Ohio State's going to win, but I feel like Notre Dame's got to be able to keep it within that range. That thing you just said about Notre Dame's athleticism on the back end and a lack thereof may be what makes 17 and a half points the right number at the end of the day. Because, look, man, I think Ohio State is going to score at will this season. I think everybody knows Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think you are going to know Marvin Harrison's name very quickly. I don't, you may know better than me. I don't know how Marcus is going to sort of have that defense playing. I know what they did at Cincinnati. And what they did at Cincinnati was we're rolling these corners up and we're going to figure out if you're man enough to play ball. And we're going to play man all the live long day. I don't know if that's how they're going to try to play uh, Ohio State on Saturday night. I would, my professional advice Mm -hmm. is to not do that. Please. (laughs) But but I'm just a guy who talks on TV. Um, I I think just the amount of explosive plays that Ohio State's going to be able to generate just at will. There is just a reality where that game very, very quickly gets away from Notre Dame. Um, just because I think Ohio State is going to be so good. And if you have a pulse, I, I've, I, have heard, I have heard musings, I've heard rumors that for God's sakes, Mike, Notre Dame has put two safeties back. Or excuse me, Ohio State has put two safeties back in camp. So they're trying something a little bit different versus the cover one, cover three yeah. reality that they've lived in for the last, huh, you know, insert year. So we'll see if Jim Knowles is able to give Ohio State a pulse on defense and able to give you, give you something else on defense, a changeup, something to confuse a quarterback. Um, I think Ohio State is probably the best option that we have if you are feeling Alabama fatigue, because that's another thing this season. Yeah, but that that little that little rebuilding year last year that Alabama had that's that's last year. This is this year, baby. Yeah, if if you're listening to this and you're hearing Richard Johnson say this and thinking, well, of course everyone says this. This was the man who was very much out in front saying last year Alabama will probably lose two games and this will probably be relative to their standards a down year and was correct in that. Yeah, Alabama, man. Like yeah, man. Against Florida against LSU kind of, against Auburn. We were so close. We were so close to the two lost Bama coming to fruition. We didn't get it, though. That's the power of Nick Saban. Yeah, it is, it is the power of Nick Saban. But, again, we got a team that still, relative to the Alabama standard, fell below normal and now appears ready to make things, as I've said multiple times, very unfun this college football season. And it's a good time, as always, to remember that there are other things about the sport that you can love besides who hoists the trophy at the end because, man – if you don't find those things, Alabama's not going to make it a great time for you this year. <laughs> really not. Um, Richard, for Georgia fans that feel disrespected as they get set to take on their former defensive coordinator and Dan Lanning down in Atlanta, going up to an Oregon program that just lost, you know, in the coaching round robin and volley this offseason, lost their guy Mario Cristobal back to where he is familiar with in Miami. What is th- what does this Georgia offense and really, you know, I mean, we'll say Georgia team look like to you this year? Because last year the formula was abundantly clear and it worked. And they managed to make it sing all the way to the title to get the monkey off their back. Now that we've seen Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, all a lot of the big faces of that defense from last year depart, 
how does the identity of this team shift and can it put them back in the same place? I will say, I think Georgia is going to be on offense, a personnel matchup nightmare because of what they can put on the field as far as tight end usage. Darnell Washington's a hand in the dirt tight end, but we know, we know what Brock Bowers can do and people are about to find out about what Eric Gilbert can do. Eric Gilbert's a tight end who uh, was originally at LSU, left LSU, went to Florida, then left Florida and went to Georgia. He is, he's not Kyle Pitts, but he's kind of that flex, uh, a bigger body, and, and whereas Brock Bowers is the flex tight end in, in kind of a like mauling way, Eric Gilbert is more the kind of like pseudo wide out that Kyle Pitts was. So on offense, I think Georgia provides a, an abundance of matchup nightmares. On defense, I don't think it's – I don't think I'm talking out of school to sit here and say you just lost seven pieces of a transcendent defense, and it, maybe you might not be the best defense in the country again. Um, so how does that level – how does it balance out? How do the scales tip? I think Georgia is now close to or in the Alabama-Ohio State echelon where – how do we kick on from a national championship, right? That, that is the, the – or a national championship game appearance for yeah. Ohio State and, and Alabama recently in the last couple of years. It, it, it's, it's the playoff or bust thing. If you want us to consider you as not just a fly-by-night, you have to do it again. I, I, I'm not going to hold you to standard of actually winning the national championship year after year after year because that's – I guess that's just Alabama's thing and nobody else's. But if, if, if you want me to say playoff, sign off, I got to see it from the defense. I got to see it be in the ballpark of the elite defense that they need because of – and I don't, I don't want to do the Stetson Bennett thing because he is a national championship, <laughs> a national champion. The ring is on the finger. I, I want to be fair to the fact that he did it last year. But, but, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I, I think that, I think Kirby said it a couple days ago. He was like, you know, we expect veteran production from a veteran quarterback. And I think that's fair. Um, you know, do, do, does Georgia win a national championship with Stetson Bennett last season and not a transcendent defense? I don't know. Now, this year, if the defense is less transcendent, which I think it's fair to expect, but the offense is able to rise, not necessarily because yeah. Bennett's made some giant leap, but just because I think personnel-wise they are going to offer such a unique challenge that there's going to be really hard to defend. Um, I, I think you can sit here and say, yeah, we expect Georgia to be in the playoff or at least in the SEC championship game in December with a fighting shot at it. Um, but there's something to be said for the fact that the SEC, particularly the SEC East, may not be the cakewalk that it was last year as well. Um, which may also hinder Georgia's pursuit, um, at least at a playoff berth. Can this Oregon team with the Bo Nix experience draw blood nope. this week? Next. <laughs> just asking, asking the question. It will <laughs> be interesting. Dan Lanning and that defensive personnel at least interesting over the long course of a season? I, th- I think they're going to be very salty on defense. I think they be very salty on defense. going to be very good. Um, I, I would expect them to – have a fighting chance against Utah, uh, which they did not last year. Mm. Um, and, and you would expect that. But I've seen 
three, three years of Bonex? Four, four years of Bonex? Yeah. I've seen enough. I know what it is. I know exactly what it is. He's going to have some hair on fire games. He's going to throw for 350 yards. He's going to pull the rabbit out of his hat. And then he's going to throw three picks the next week. Yep. I've seen oh, it. Bonex, college football's Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's, I've seen it. It is an experience that we know all too well. So, Oregon, strap in for this one. I can promise you few things other than it is going to be interesting. And, Lord Jesus, sometimes that's the only bar we need to clear in the world of college football. Um, you brought up Utah. I'm heading down with Learfield to call the Utah-Florida game this Woof. weekend for Learfield. i going to find something else to do Saturday night. <laughs> so, it, Utah is, and I heard you guys say as much on SCD, legitimate playoff contender. Bring oh, yeah. him, bringing back oh, yeah. the pieces they have, Cam Rising at quarterback, bunch of really good tight ends that I saw you just wrote up about as well for SI. So on the Florida side of things, this is a nightmare matchup for a first-year head coach trying to instill a new program. But from what you've heard, proud Florida alum over here for anyone that's not aware, what is the feedback already on Billy Napier heading into week one with what's gone on this offseason? Personally, I think this is the worst possible two opponents. that They play Kentucky Week 2. I, I think Florida, it's the worst possible two opponents to start the season with. Because let's say they started the season with Ohio State, and you get beat by 20 points. Everybody knows Ohio State, best team in the country, one of the best teams in the country, more talent than you, year one, yada, yada, yada. Utah is going to drag you in the muck. And this shit is going to be like 13-10 with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> and he's going to be miserable. And I'm going to have Mike Golick breaking down how Utah's offensive line is running roughshod over Florida. And, and Brant Keithy and, and Dalton Kincaid, uh, as Utah's tight ends, are, are going to be running roughshod over Florida and, and, and all this kind of stuff and, and, and out-physicaling them and, and bringing them down and dragging them to hell in the Florida humidity. Um, I just... It, with Billy, I think that with all the off-field stuff that Florida's had to do, uh, hiring support staffers, all this kind of stuff, like you need time for those people to gel. You need time for those systems that he's putting in place, that he's renewing and reinvigorating to talk to each other. Like if I'm hiring 50 people, I got to make sure 50 people can work together, which is before we talk about the on-field stuff. With the on, so, yeah, with I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and and then when we get to the on field, like, look, man, Anthony Richardson, God love him, thirty nine completions in his whole career, thirty nine. It may look great in the QB run game, which I think it will, because you can't draw a quarterback up in a lab that looks a lot better than Anthony Richardson, but like, like, sorry that I have some questions about how he throws the ball. Sorry that I have some questions about who he's throwing the ball to. By the way, um, so you know, I, I wonder. I wonder how Florida in the passing game uh, is 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 gonna is gonna fare, frankly, on on Saturday night, and especially if Utah is able to keep this game script the way they want. I mean, this may be a bad time for Florida. I don't think Florida's gonna get blown out, and I don't think Florida, if they win, will blow Utah out. But this is gonna be a tight game. And it's just not going to be a great time for Florida fans who see a Pac-12 team on the schedule and think, oh, we got this, no matter the fact that it's, it's a first-year head coach. So with that in mind, and Florida fans, it could still be a good time to listen to Learfield and check out me and Sloan Martin on the call for that <laughs> game. Uh, I will say, it, since I am rolling in town and since you are an alum there, is there anywhere I need to make sure I check off the list as far as going to eat or drink something? So, I, so Friday night... Get to, you probably need to get your reservation now, but Friday night, 
Get your reservation at either Mark's Prime or Ember's. Good steak. Get your good steak. Good steakhouse downtown Gainesville. Um, or Dragonfly if you're a sushi guy in downtown Gainesville. Downtown Gainesville will be buzzing on Friday night. I, I really, really am jealous. Uh, Gainesville, as not only my college town, but my hometown. Um, the, when the leaves change in September uh, and, and, it, and we get into that season, that is a time when I really, really, truly miss home uh, and, and, and really wish I was home. But Gainesville's frankly changed a lot. You're, as somebody who hasn't been there in like 10 years, you're going to go and you're going to be like, where the hell is this? Um, because Gainesville, and this hurts me about my hometown, has tried its best to become some like Walmart rendition of like Jacksonville or Orlando. And if you're from Florida, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I think Florida, unfortunately, has kind of lost a lot of the college town charm that it had. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because I love it and it's home. Um, but the swamp restaurant, which used to be directly across the street from the stadium has relocated and is opening this week, uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit down the street from campus. So if you get a chance, go there. Um, there's also a couple of breweries. First magnitude is, uh, near downtown and, and swamp head as well. Uh, a couple of breweries that you can go hang out and, and have a pint or, or three in Gainesville as well. So Gainesville has changed, but it is still home, and there are still places that I can recommend highly. All right, very much looking forward to that one. I know, knowing myself, I'm happiest in all this switching to the radio gig as opposed to TV that I'll be able to do this in a quarter zip so I won't go nuclear on some button down like I did when I was walking through um, Ole Miss last year down in Oxford, sweating my (laughs) absolute life out of me. So I'll go replenish with pints. I'll go check all that out. I'm looking forward to it. We're back in all of this, and uh, it it feels right. Richard, we appreciate the time today, man. Safe travels to Atlanta. Enjoy week one in college football, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again soon, man. My friend, I will be listening. Enjoy Gainesville this weekend as well. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Amazingly enough, we also have non-college football news today and really non-tennis news. We'll get to R.J. Barrett and what's going on with the Knicks, if that was you what you're expecting here. But we talked a lot about in the NFL yesterday the fact that cutdowns were coming. This was when the rosters get trimmed to 53 plus the 16-man practice squads in the NFL. And you guys can already see it starting right now for one team in particular. So... This past week, this week I should say, I went on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny with the one and only ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes, who we love around here, friend of the podcast. Her and I every year have done a team draft for the upcoming season. Essentially, we pick every team in the NFL, obviously between the two of us, and based on a point system that surrounds points for games won by the teams on your roster – Playoff games won, getting further and advancing in the playoffs to the Super Bowl, etc. Try and figure out based on the points who picked the better team. And Mina Kimes picked the Philadelphia Eagles. I, to balance that out, picked the Dallas Cowboys. And since that happened on the podcast, Tyron Smith injured for the Dallas Cowboys, likely to not return for till December, their star left tackle, which obviously is doing me a worry. 
But the story of cutdown day in the NFL right now appears to be the Philadelphia Eagles. As we look around and always see veteran players released, you look at the Bills releasing um, O.J. Howard, the tight end that they had brought over from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We just saw uh, you know a couple of other names like that that are going to pop up along the way. The Eagles appear to be right now a lot of people's winner in terms of the day because as Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL insider, announced earlier on Twitter, the Eagles have traded with the New Orleans Saints for cornerback Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, the Eagles receive Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and a Saints' seventh-round pick in 2025 while giving up the Eagles' fifth-round pick in 2023 and the worst of their two sixth-round picks in 2024. The Saints and Gardner-Johnson had been in extension talks, and when that broke down, this according to Ian Rappaport over at the NFL Network, the focus then shifted to trading him. Philadelphia lands him now, and as we talked to Russ Tucker about last week, this is already a defense that's loaded up on some different guys. Brandon Graham coming back healthy, Kazir White that they brought over from the Los Angeles Chargers, the drafting of Jordan Davis, up front and Kobe Dean in the linebacking core from that Georgia defense, Darius Slay, the back end, all of these things that have started to come together and Mina used the time to promptly chirp me for what this Eagles roster has become and it's a good one when they are healthy along the lines of scrimmage on offense. Remember they went back and made the A.J. Brown trade in the draft to have him along with Devonta Smith, their former Heisman Trophy winning first rounder. All of this is leading to a place where as we want to look at this, I think of one thing, and I believe this Eagles team is going to be very good. They're just built in such the right ways. It's not about having a star at the quarterback position. It's about building up everything around it to make Jalen Hurts' life a lot easier. And we've talked, this is a very pro-Jalen Hurts podcast. That's not what this is. Love the player. Love the young man. It's been my opinion that over a long career, you've heard me say it before on here if anyone's new, I think he tracks high-end backup, really high-end backup, guy that can step in and win you games in a pinch, but talent-wise, I still have questions about what that ceiling can be. All of this starts to remind me of back in the day when Vince Young uttered the words, and I am waiting to hear if we get anything of the like, Dream Team. Because right now... I don't think this roster name-wise necessarily is going to approach that. That was like Vince Young quarterback, Namdi Asamoah coming over there as a defensive back, I think from Oakland at that point. All these players, and I forget the full roster of that Eagles dream team, but once that statement was uttered, it seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong from that point. I'm hoping that's not the case for the Eagles this year. I just need them to lose in the division to Dallas now, selfishly for me and that team draft. But I think they are clearly the team that coming off of this period in the NFL where you're going to see good veteran players finding their way onto other teams after camp, some of whom just you know were the victim of circumstance and rosters that were already loaded in positions, some that were underperformers and that someone else is going to believe they can find in a reclamation project. Right now, because of that, the Saints defense that we know has a secondary and really top to bottom, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan on that defensive line, all of it reeks as one of the best units in the NFL. This is certainly a player that, again, they were talking about potentially extending, they, they believe in, and now instead we're trying to get something from now, you know, these pair of draft picks, a fifth rounder next year and a sixth rounder, hardly reeks of that overall, but it is still the Eagles, I think, believing they have really fixed some things offensively on a back end that in prior years has been marred by injury. 
fascinated to watch because it seems like as this offseason's gone along, the temperature around the top end of that division has gotten cranked up even more and even more. Uh, guys, speaking of temperatures outside, as we know, we are in the absolute thick of it. And boy, being back on the East Coast, it is truly thick. August in Connecticut is a unique brand of hell. I know it's not the South. I know I'm not talking to anyone in Louisiana when I say this, but relative to what we deal with up here, it's soupy. And when it's soupy and warm, you want to make sure you're looking cool and keeping cool as best you can. That is best done with our friends at Knockaround Sunglasses. Knockaround's polarized sunglasses are about $30 per pair. They ship fast, you get tons of customizable options. Brandon, I'm sure, is trotting out his newly acquired Knockarounds this week, tonight, going down to the wedding he's at, making sure he leaves everyone with a good taste in their mouth. And you can do that for just about everyone. There's over a billion possible combinations in the Knockaround Custom Shop. You can take them out for a run. I do it all the time. They've got that rubber nose so it doesn't slip and move around on you. Knockaround sunglasses are high-quality, polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. So make sure you check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com and use the promo code GOJO at checkout. Already very affordable shades we want to make even more affordable for you. So again, promo code GOJO at checkout is going to get you 20% off your knockarounds. Again, G-O-J-O for any first timers around here is going to get you 20% off at checkout. All right, now normally this is the part of the podcast where I would ask Brandon, do you know what time it is? This, that, and the third is a segment that we've been doing a long time around here. Get to some stories at the end of the day here. Bat the ball around a little bit. Brandon usually then gives us some rendition of a song. Absolutely crushed it yesterday. He's usually always on top of this. And so it's going to be kind of weird, but I am going to try and do this the best way I possibly can and make him proud. I have to apologize in advance to the people in this hotel that are about to listen to me do this. But uh, I'll still ask it as Brandon anyway. Brandon. Do you know what time it is? Oh my God, we're back again. Mm. Brother, sisters, everybody sing. Mm. Gonna bring the flavor, show you how. Got takes for you, better answer now. Yeah, am I original? Yeah, am I the only one? Yeah, am I sexual? Yeah, am I everything you need? You better this, that, and the third. Everybody now. Yeah, rock your body now. Yeah, everybody now. This, that, and the third. This, that, and the third good as I got. Shout out to everybody who used to get down with Backstreet Boy Band Fridays on first and last way back back in the 4 to 6 a.m. ESPN radio days. I do it because I love you. That is what we've got today for that. This is how we start this, that, and the third. And first up on this one is a story I've actually had put aside for a couple of days that I think is really interesting. I remember during the pandemic when I was doing the morning show with dad and Trey Wingo, we talked a lot about the effect that that had on minor league baseball. The feeder league for what we see in the show all the time was so adversely affected by the pandemic. That's a level of baseball where the ticket gate and the revenue there is really what sustains a lot of these teams. 
and all of that affected by not being able to have people out there. And so all of that got thrown into flux. And since that time, there's been a focus on the working conditions for minor league players and what they've had to deal with as far as inadequate pay, a lot of times inadequate living, and just what's provided to them in a league that's an extension of Major League Baseball, and that's ultimately the farm system that's going to make a lot of these teams. And so there was an announcement that Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball uh, minor leagues are going to have a potential unionization of more than 5,000 minor leaguers in this latest action and effort by the players who, remember, won $185 million settlement from the league in an unpaid wages class action lawsuit. And we've seen boosts in housing from teams and pay in recent years. Minor leaguers who, you know, originally, they have not been collectively bargained. We hear this all the time with leagues, and we talk about the CBA stuff all the time. They haven't been collectively bargained, which, you know, for the vast majority of these guys, they make about $5,000 to $14,000 a year doing this. Some living out a dream that'll never come true, some biding their time until the majors, but all, I, I think as we've gotten more and more comfortable, and as we've seen players more and more comfortable speaking up, and this is happening in college football at the same time, arguing on their own behalf. Now, we've also seen you know members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and anytime we see government get involved with these matters, it tends to also move some things along, especially when you hear them say things like exploring Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption in the way it treats minor leaguers. Now, this is going to be the interesting part is Major League Baseball's Players Association is essentially going to absorb, if this goes through, these 5,000 players. And 30% of those minor league players need to sign union authorization cards. You know, all of this needs to happen. There's a lot of logistical stuff that needs to go down with this. There would be player reps for all the minor league teams. Um, there would be people coordinating that. Essentially, it would run like anything else. The interesting part is, and as I read an article on ESPN.com about this, it didn't seem like all of the major leaguers were necessarily up to date that this was a possibility. And now I do wonder for them going forward, because I think this is an objectively good thing overall, especially morally. These guys, and I think most people, if you've been around long enough, because there's so many teams and so many players, you've probably known someone who's played minor league baseball. You've probably got someone in your life who's lived that experience. And it sounds like a lot of back roads, bus rides, and really less than glamorous living. I know I had a bunch of buddies from Notre Dame that did the trek through minor league baseball, and a bunch of them who never made it to the show. And eventually there's that moment for everyone where the living is so far from what you think of when you think of professional sports that a lot of people just decide at some point, I'll do more with my time. But again, there's an element of this of making sure you treat the guys that you hope will one day be a part of a league that makes everyone a lot of money with the basic decency that we feel a lot of them deserve. The interesting part of this is going to be what effect this does have on Major League Baseball's PA when it comes to their dealing with MLB. Because now what you've got and the difficulty all the time when we've talked about made, you know, the NFL versus the NBA versus Major League Baseball has certainly been the risk posed in each sport and what injury does to the way things are negotiated, but also just sheer size. When you look at NFL rosters, having 53 guys plus 16 practice squad guys and the way that this breaks down – You've got so many players in various spots in their careers at various levels 
that it's always hard when it comes time to collective bargaining to have a group that's able to stand their ground and potentially strike try and make waves in that way and really the best tool that the players associations have in working and bargaining against the owners that's always difficult because you're trying to wrangle up so many people with the nfl now if you're major league baseball and you're potentially adding the very different needs of the 5,000, you know, ish minor leaguers that would be a part of this and a part of, you know, the jurisdiction of your organization, unless there's some very distinct separation, I'm sure there are some players that look at this and go, well, I do wonder how this is going to affect us when it comes to bargaining on the major league level the next time this comes up and the next time we have an ask or a need or Major League Baseball does. And the minor league needs are used as a potential leverage chip in this. This is probably a question I would like to ask Dominique Foxworth at someday, the former head of the NFL Players Association, worked in the NBA PA as well, is how this would be a potential effect for the guys up there. Because again, much like we talked about in the NFL, you have guys that are up in the show that have different needs and desires than the guys that are dealing in minor leagues right now even if those guys came up through a minor league system and are aware of these problems. It's interesting to keep an eye on. I I always think these things are fascinating. I hope at the end of the day, it does result in better conditions. I almost said better conditions, better ingredients, minor league baseball. But hopefully it does get to that point where these guys are paid a wage that they can live on. They're provided housing by these teams that are going out there and being able to profit off of the work that they are doing and that they can be treated like professionals so that we can see more and more of them come to have an impact on what happens in the major leagues. Uh, Let's get to that. Um, We've talked a lot about professional golf and live golf on this podcast. And a big domino just fell as golf finishes up the PGA Championship and the FedEx Cup Championship, excuse me, and gets to its summer. Cam Smith is now one of the latest, along with five other golfers, to leave the PGA Tour for live. Cam Smith is the current number two golfer in the world and won the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews this July. He is the biggest name by far to jump ship to live. And there have been all these rumors through the back half of the season. We had seen the way that that at times played out on the course for Cam Smith and the way some of his peers responded to those rumors. But this now is starting to get real. A few of the other five uh, players that are heading over to live golf are guys that are top 50 in the world. None of them are quite household names that would register in the way this is. And really, Cam Smith is not a household name yet, but he is south of 30 and a guy that won one of the majors this past year and is absolutely the best golfer that's going over on here now. He was a guy, along with Joaquin Neiman, that was supposed to go uh, and play in the President's Cup at Quail Hollow as a member of the international team on September 20th through the 25th. But we know PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan has suspended players for competing beforehand in these tournament uh, in these events if they're playing with Live. And since the President's Cup is sanctioned by the PGA Tour, now you're not going to have Cam Smith as a part of that event, which sucks for the international team. This is not surprising. We figured more money was going to keep talking. We wondered how high this would climb, and now we got an answer. Now it becomes more and more of what is Live Golf going to do with anything to market their league differently, to try and make this an actual competitor for the PGA, because right now I don't believe on course it's got a product that is necessarily competitive, mostly because we cannot see it 
on a regular basis. It's hard to find. And for most people, it's not worth the effort. Golf's a sport that even for the major networks now is something that really is, I think, less of a money driver than most of the other major sports. But one of the things I is also going to start to get interesting about this now is part of the appeal of Live is it's 48 players, it is shorter rounds, it's shotgun starts, all these things that they want to do to differentiate the golf product and make it easier for the players. Three rounds instead of four on the weekend, all of that stuff. But with it being the top 48, one other interesting got pointed out by Max Homa on Twitter the other day, a PGA pro, a guy who finished, I think, tied for fifth at the FedEx Cup Championship said and tweeted out earlier, since the new tour got new players, I'm curious who got booted. I'm sure they'll still get paid, but that's got to be tough feeling, especially if they haven't played that bad, but just aren't popular enough to make that list. It's interesting to see how that plays out going forward. And the one thing that we're not really sure of is exactly how these payments work. There's been a lot of stuff in some of the lawsuits recently between Liv and the PGA and vice versa about how these guys actually get paid over the course of the year. And what this does on the back end, if you're a guy that was, for a lot of these lower-level guys who had never made this kind of money on the tour and were offered close to nine figures and took it and ran and didn't ask where it came from, now you're going to be in that position of potentially finding your way out of this and not being sure exactly where you stand with the PGA Tour post that. And so for some guys who thought maybe this is their last opportunity to go and make a buck and play this sport that they've enjoyed, albeit in a morally conflicted way, now they could be on the outs. All of this continues to create a wild dynamic around professional golf at the moment, but this is the shoe and the domino that we are waiting to drop. I I would imagine that if there was a bigger name that was going to jump ship, this probably would have been the time when Liv would have announced it. I haven't heard. Cam Smith has been the name rumbled for a long time, so... We'll wait to see if there are other guys on here that make the jump in a way that's ultimately going to move the needle. But for right now, this is still a league that has a lot more questions to answer about its longevity as a legitimate competitor. We've seen it have impact, certainly, on the way the PGA is operated. That there is no denying anymore. But in the meantime, Cam Smith, the latest big name to jump over to the Live Golf Corps, the Live Golf Circuit. And finally, let's get it to the third here because it's been a while since we've talked about the Knicks. And they're going to do the thing, according to Adrian Wojnarowski over at ESPN. The Knicks and R.J. Barrett are getting ready to finalize a four-year rookie extension worth up to $120 million. Uh, It would make him the youngest $100 million player in Knicks history at 22 years old. We know, I think most people, this conversation is going to go to what does this mean for them and Donovan Mitchell. There had been talks in the last couple of weeks with those teams and if those talks will be any different because apparently there is a poison pill provision in R.J. Barrett's deal. Um, I do want to pull up this stat that I saw the fellows over at Jalen and Jacoby tweet out before and reference uh, this about the Knicks because what we associate normally with the Knicks franchise is taking chances on names that are past their prime for way too much money because they just want to keep selling out Madison Square Garden and have a team that people talk about. We haven't always associated James Dolan with wanting to have a team that's actually doing anything. And for R.J. Barrett, who is you know a Knicks first-round pick, Jalen Jacoby tweeted, the Knicks haven't had a first-rounder sign a rookie extension in almost 30 years. 
The last one was Charlie Ward. So technically it's been 28 years and two months since the Knicks drafted a player they deemed worthy of keeping long term. As they put it, Giannis Antetokounmpo has not been alive long enough to see that. So part of you could say this is encouraging that with what they've seen from RJ, them deciding to commit to him might be a sign that Leon Rose and everyone that's been tasked with turning around that front office's way of doing business is actually changing the way that the Knicks operate. I'm sure there is still a small part of Knicks fans and just the general public that wanted to look at the situation surrounding Donovan Mitchell, Utah's roster changing in a drastic way with the trade of Rudy Gobert this offseason heading up to Minnesota and wondered what it might be like to see a young player, a true star in this league in the way that Donovan Smith or Donovan Mitchell, excuse me, I think legitimately became, especially during the course of the NBA bubble season, to see what it would look like having a player like that in Madison Square Garden. It's no disrespect to the guys on the roster, R.J. Barrett included, but we know that's not necessarily how they've been talked about in this league so far. So that's what the Knicks got going on. I'm sure knowing the way that that franchise operates it will not seem this uh calm and coherent for too too long unless they've truly turned over a new leaf but uh, i've got too much history on my side and in our lifetime of what's gone on with nick's basketball to necessarily believe that that is going to be the case so Very excited to see how that goes for the Knicks and the rest of this NBA offseason. Very excited, as always, that you guys have decided to stick with us all the way to the end of this podcast. If you like what you heard, as always, make sure you go download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. We always greatly appreciate it. We're trying to win that war against the algorithm and make sure that we can continue to put out the best possible product and get it to the most amount of people. Um... We also want you to go check out our YouTube page. Again, DraftKings YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to that. When you do subscribe there, you can go down to the pages there, the playlist, and check out the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. playlist and look at the videos. We're getting those interviews up as fast as we can. Again, Brandon is doing so much work behind the scenes. That's why I was more than happy to let him have the day to go take care of what he needs to, getting out to where he needs to go. Uh, but again, those videos will keep popping up there. If you've enjoyed seeing those, please let us know. Make sure you throw the little thumbs up like button in there and show the people that you enjoy that portion of this podcast. Um, thanks so much. I am going to spend the rest of my time here warming up. And hopefully when you're listening to this, I can confidently say that I threw out a phenomenal first pitch. The Michael Jr. bobblehead night went as well as something that ill-advised for anyone to do possibly can and uh we will be back again tomorrow hopefully in one piece with only a mild hangover thanks so much and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.